Uh, well, welcome and thank you for bearing with our uh, room confusion uh, and being here today for this panel. So as Brian said, this is the panel where you will learn how to make money in the music business, right? Very exciting. Okay. Um, but the, the topic is is live and, and where live is taking us, where, where we've been, where we're going. Um, I come to this from the perspective of Forbes, where I, I write all these lists of the top earning rappers, DJs, country acts, you name it, and um, and it gets kind of boring after a while because I have to write up these blurbs about why each act ended up on this list, right? And it's always like, The weekend is, is number two on the list with $90 million because he toured a lot. Drake is number two. Anyway, it's a lot of, I guess Drake does a lot of streaming uh, numbers as well, but that's a bad example. Anyway, point being, you're here, you're in music, you know, live, live is where it's at. Live is where uh, a lot of the money is being made, um, and live is perhaps where the future is as well. So we are here today to to talk to you, to talk to each other, and uh, eventually take questions from you about that particular topic. So um, uh, yeah, I'll tell you, I guess I've told you a little bit about myself, but uh, I'll tell you a little more. I'm the media and entertainment editor at Forbes. Uh, I've written books on Jay-Z and Michael Jackson. I have a new one coming in March called Three Kings about the business of hip hop. Um, and yeah, wh why don't we go on down the line? Uh, hi, I'm Dave Allen. You may have seen me talk this morning, I don't know, but um, I've had a long career in music and tech, um, professional musician, Gang of Four, et cetera, et cetera. Um, recently left Apple Music to get into um, some, uh, yeah, I've been in music tech for quite some time, and um, I ended up at Apple, Apple Music on the artist relations team, which I left uh, in March, and uh, I'm now working on a new business idea called North Music, and um, I suppose that's all you need to know right now. Ask questions later. Hi, my name is John. I am a Chief Growth Officer and CFO of Insomniac. We do Electric Daisy Carnival. We're the largest rave festival promotion company in the world. We do festivals around the world. We'll sell about, I don't know, 1.3 million tickets this year between everything we do. Um, and I'm happy to be here. Hi, my name is Fiasha. I wasn't in the program, but I'm replacing Lori today. So uh, I work with Eventbrite. I head up our uh, global music festival strategy. And um, for those of you who don't know, uh, aside from getting your registration to this event today, um, Eventbrite uh, is a global company. We uh, sell tickets in 180 different countries around the world. Um, and we're processing upwards of uh, three to four million tickets per week around the globe. Uh, and music is a, an incredibly important part of our business, uh, particularly for me as I run a music strategy at Eventbrite. So I'm excited to talk to you all today. Right on. All right, so um, before we begin, or I guess as we begin, why don't we uh, each kind of get into what was the latest uh, live event that we worked on that we touched in one way or another. So. I'll, I'll start off, uh, Forbes, despite being a uh, print and web publication, is also, surprise, in, in the live uh, events business as well. Uh, we put on our 30 Under 30 conference in Boston uh, earlier in uh, this month. We had a, a music festival, which I curated, and then a bunch of different content stages. So, you know, it's us and uh, Vanity Fair and Complex, you name it, every media outlet has a, a, a conference. Um, and, and I think it's kind of the way of the future. Uh, and I guess that's that was my latest. 
Well, I'm the odd one out here. I don't do festivals. Um, so I haven't been <laughs> preparing any festivals last whatsoever. Last one you attended? The uh, last one I attended was the Pickathon Festival, uh, which we talked about in the green room. Uh, you know, more of a boutique festival, uh, not on the grand scale of all the others, but um, usually sells out every year. And um, I was on the board for a while. That was fun. But um, yeah, that's the last one I've been. I've been to some great concerts. Um, so we had a, uh, a small festival for us. Small for us is about 25,000 people a day um, called Nocturnal Wonderland in San Bernardino. And that was a couple weekends ago. But um, unfortunately, what I've spent much of my time dealing with and working on are the, uh, the ramifications of the Vegas massacre and how that affects our business moving forward, not just at Insomniac, but we are half owned by Live Nation. Of course, we're the biggest festival, we're the biggest single, our EDC Las Vegas version is the biggest single weekend festival in the entire world, 140,000 people a day. Fortunately, there's no high rises around us and we're in a racetrack, so we have a good perimeter, but the uh, ramifications of this are significant. Um, I don't think it changes people's desire to go um, or the demand. Uh, but the ramifications are significant, and of course, it's the worst tragedy that's ever happened. And when are we going to have some fucking gun control on this bullshit? I think we'll talk a little bit more about Vegas later, but I echo um, the sentiments about that that it, that unpredictable and totally tragic um, thing that happened for those of us who work in live live music, I think that the last couple of weeks have been really intense and really um, uh, really a lot of discussions happening around the industry about that. Um, on a lighter note, um, the, the music yeah, festival that I, <laughs> that I worked on most recently was actually the Newport Folk Festival, which is new to Eventbrite uh, this year. And um, I think uh, what I love about that event is they've really, it's the arguably the oldest music festival in the country. And um, that's an event where the community comes together regardless of the lineup uh, to experience the event. Um, and, you know, that event also um, has a lot of challenges with scalpers and people trying to kind of gouge people on the secondary for, um, for the tickets. And so we were able to employ some proprietary technology uh, during the on sale on Eventbrite. Uh, kind of for the first time, actually, um, and really help prevent um, tickets getting into the hands of scalpers. And we were able to take about 10% of the inventory of that festival and put it back into the on sale and get it into fans' hands in real time. So that was a really uh, amazing experience uh, to see it happen live. And um, also, we partnered with a company called Light that does um, a, a secondary ticket exchange, like a private fan exchange for events. Um, and they powered sort of the fan-to-fan -fan exchange for Newport. And the combination of what we did during the on-sale as well as the, um, the, uh, the efforts of light, we were able to take 67% of the secondary and put it through light and save fans upwards of $250,000 on um, buying tickets to the festival and really helped to get 
fans to that event. And I think that, you know, being there and seeing the fans really react to that and have a really positive experience was, was really special to me the last yeah. couple of months. Yeah, and you know, I think since, since we did touch on Vegas, let's let's get right to that because that was on the agenda. And I think while you know, while we have that topic here, we should we should dig right in. Um, you know, uh, I was actually working a festival when this happened, so you know, definitely um, uh, was something that, that I've been thinking especially a lot about lately. Um, you know, I think a lot of people talk about what happens to the live industry post Vegas, but. You know, there was also what what happened, what happens to the live industry post Bataclan, uh, what happens post Manchester, and you know uh, these things keep happening um, uh, tragically, and you know, but the the industry moves forward. Um, you know, what does what does live have to do um, in the future? You know, what are some of the conversations that you guys have been having around this? Uh, issue, particularly in the wake of, of Vegas, because I think that's, you know, I think ev and even t taking it to an even more uh, outrageous level than anything we've seen so far. You want me to? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's, it's we, we do events around the world, so we, you know, um, we're in Mexico, we're in Brazil, we're in the UK, and we're here in the US, and it's amazing. It's just such a tragic event that I think n no one, you know, it's really unprecedented in our, our history, and you really can't actually prepare for something like that. Um, you can know about it now and then prepare for something like that in the future. Um, and so I think those of us who work in live, um, obviously uh, those of us up here, uh, we all have a role to play in some fashion or another, even though maybe we're not directly involved with security at the event or, or you know, from the ticketing perspective. Um, some of the things that we've been thinking about and talking about internally is how can we leverage um, some of our on-site technology around RFID uh, and sort of identification technology to help with location and identification of people, um, as well as we counsel a lot of events. Um, you know, we, uh, we're always talking to new events. We're talking to them about their entry management and emergency exit planning and how can we kind of get more serious there and actually really um, make sure we're counseling them on, on emergency preparedness. So those are the sort of the, there's a lot of more questions than answers, but those are the things that we're sort of thinking about at Eventbrite. Oh man, where do I even start on this question? Um, you know, many of the, uh, many of our country's best venues are surrounded by high rise buildings. Um, Lollapalooza, Grant Park in Chicago which was a target, right? Um, many of them aren't. EDC, Bonnaroo, um, Coachella. Uh, but, you know, there's just a new reality here. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, the mindset, like, there's, there, there's, there's nothing you can do. Like, this, this, these are just fucking insane people with crazy-ass fucking gun laws taking advantage of our... It's like, so, you know... The security and the health and safety of the big companies is second to none. It just is. There's nothing you can do about this, you know. Um, if any of us thinks for one second that the divisiveness that is our monster President Trump is not driving this shit, then, then go fuck yourself, as far as I'm concerned. Um, we got a bigger problem, and I don't even know where to go on this, but what I do know 
is the people that want to go to festivals are not going to stop going to festivals. And the communal experience and the shared experience and the values that come from that become more important with every one of these incidences. So I wish there were, look, I mean, our security has been turned upside down. We're spending a lot of time on this. But if you don't think there's a correlation here, um, then you're just wrong. And um, we're good people. People that come to our shows are good people. And these nut jobs should not have access to weapons like this. I mean, at one point, do you think uh, a live events lobby would mobilize, you know, in a way? I mean, I know it's, it's really difficult to scale up to the level of, like, an NRA. But, you know, I mean, do you think that there's a point that we're nearing or maybe we're at, you know, I mean, Live Nation is a, you know, publicly traded multi-billion dollar company. Are there, you know, is there enough of a... Um, there, there, that that you know, sort of lobby could be developed to, to really push for this, uh, or or is it just you know senators from California and and uh, you know <laughs> not going to get listened to in the current environment? Right. I mean, I can't really speak on behalf of the Live Nation platform. You know, sure. I can tell you what we as Insomniac and our DNA believe, and I can tell you what I personally believe. Um, but as people, we need to <laughs> we need to rise above and rage against the machine, and I don't know what else to say, but it's like, you know, these types of weapons, I mean, e even if you believe in the Second Amendment, these types of weapons are simply not okay. And, I, and I, don't, I don't have the answer. What I do know is we will not stop doing what we're doing, and people are not going to stop coming to the shows. All right. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess, you know, despite the tragedies that, that have been going on, um, despite Las Vegas and, and the others, um, we, we are in something of a golden age of live music, right? I mean, the numbers uh, are pretty wild. We were talking about this before. Um, but we are maybe reaching a sort of saturation point for festivals where they're the giants that, you know, uh, the Lollapaloozas and uh, the EDCs, you name it. Um, but, you know, and then there are the, the boutique ones that we talked about, the niche uh, level festivals, but there's sort of this in-between area where people are, are trying to add more and they're not necessarily catching. Um, talk, talk about that, you know, uh, are, have, we re have we reached peak live or are we still, you know, still navigating that? Uh, well, uh, it's a really good question. Uh, you know, we were talking about this backstage there. Um, you know, the fact that um, most of the festivals have a lot of the same artists on them. Um, now, whether that, and, and you'd mentioned the hardcore fans that are always going to turn up and perhaps follow them all the way across the country where there are all these festivals that have the same bill at times. Um, you know, that, um, and I also mentioned earlier that sort of more thing. Um, it's, um, you know, I don't know what people want in more. When I talked about it in the green room, I, 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 I thought of different ways that that could be um, sort of explained. But um, I don't know if people do want more. It's 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 what do they want? Like we have to talk about audiences more than worry about the festival headliners or what the bill is. It's like what does the audience want? Who's talking to the audience? Who's reaching out to the audience? Like you know, you you can't expect people, especially younger people, to keep paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars for the same bill. Uh, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, I'm not saying I have all the answers here, but, uh, you know, 
it's about participating in culture as well, especially for, we were mentioning millennials, you know, and how they want to be part of something. They don't want to just stand in a field and watch a bunch of bands or notice people in Range Rovers pulling up at Coachella and jumping into air-conditioned tents and getting their ice-cold champagne served to them. You know, it's like, wow, I'm just getting sprayed on by a big hose because it's boiling out here. That's not cool. And, and these things actually stand out, I think. You know, it's another form of inequality. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking it's getting a bit overdone. And perhaps, uh, as we probably agreed back there, is right, these niche festivals will start to spring up a little bit further. We'll hear more about them. And um, yes, that's, that's probably a good thing. Yeah, I um, think um, on the, you know, yes, there's a saturation of festivals. But I think the one thing that I think we all agree with is that people are still going to live events. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's a little bit more supply than demand at the moment, um, but that will correct itself. Um, and I, we are seeing um, people really adopt these smaller, kind of more boutique niche experiences. Um, we did a study, but, but people are still going to live events. So um, Eventbrite did a study last year um, called our Hardcore Festies study. So looking at like, who are these fans and why did they go to live events, um, particularly music festivals. and. Um, four out of five uh, people that we spoke to said that they um, went to the same amount of music festivals last year as, as the year that we did the study, so 2016. Um, and more than half of them said that they were going to go to more festivals next year. So the demand is there. I think it's a matter of making sure that the supply, so the, the festivals on the other side, um, are successful and actually can survive. And I think there has been this, this oversupply. Um, I have some thoughts about why, how, how festivals can be successful, but we can talk about it now or later. And, and I think one of the things that we're learning is that you know not everybody can just go plan a festival, uh, as we saw with the fire Festival, uh, <laughs> if, you, if, if you want to call it that. <laughs> you can call it that. Um, but... Right. I mean, you know, uh, l l let's talk about that. I mean, you know, how does um, how does such a disaster kind of uh, happen? And you know, what does it say? I mean, I think what it says is, you know, you, you really you need to be a professional. You need to you need to have some, area, you know, level of expertise in what you're doing. You can't just you know go and like rent some space on an island and tell everybody to show up and expect that it's going to be okay. I mean, that's, uh, <clears throat> there was a social media angle on that too, you know, like using Instagram and, and models and I don't know what to, to, to shout it out and, you know, um, and, and not understanding. I, I mean, now, obviously, with all the lawsuits playing and we're seeing more about the background of the folks who tried to put it on, they, that, there are people on that island talking like this, this place wasn't even set up to take a, a large concert of any description. None at all. I mean, yeah. in other words, it was just a bit of a, it looks like it was just a scam. Um, you know, I, I don't want to point fingers at anyone, but we'll see as it rolls through the courts just exactly what happened. But wow, that, that you know, that was a big disaster. I'm sure you agree. Well, I will. That guy was a, a, a fraud. And he, I mean, he said that. here's the thing. <laughs> the, uh, the festival business, um, uh, 
it's a tidal business. Rising tides float all boats. We, there's a lot of competitors out there, right? Um, we don't wish any ill will on any of our competitors because when something bad happens, it affects us all. Um, so we're very much in this together. And while we compete fiercely, um, our biggest liability is that dumbass rich kid with daddy's mummy, money coming into our business thinking they know what the fuck they're doing. They don't. Perimeter, sanitation, power, health and safety, uh, scaffolding, um, uh, food. I mean, there, there are so many fundamental elements that go into producing a safe show that like, you just don't walk in and know what you're doing. Um, as we go international, we're dealing with stuff like, you know, um, political environments, currency exchange, um, I mean, uh, it, it goes on and, you know, on and on and on. And, and it's, it, it is a, it's actually a very sophisticated uh, business, very sophisticated, rather mature business, frankly. Um, is there saturation? There is saturation. And yes, is there a growth of boutique uh, festivals that are more niche, smaller, um, higher price points, higher margins, um, and that's a very exciting future. Uh, the juggernauts, the Coachellas, the Lalas, the EDCs, these things so far, knock on wood, um, are just kind of immune to anything. Everything in the middle is starting to take a little bit of a hit, um, but you know what? We don't want anybody new in the business because you're going to fuck it up. <laughs> Seriously, unless you bring in experts, you're going to mess it up for the rest of us. And none of us want that. If you want to be a new guy in the business, come talk to me. Come talk to the AEG guys. Come talk to somebody who knows what they're doing. We'll welcome new entrants. Just don't go try to do it on yourself because you don't know what you're doing and you will mess it up. And fire is case in point. Mm -hmm. yep. yeah. I mean, I'll jump in. I mean, I'll say, you know, on my end with Forbes, when we put on this music festival, uh, two years in Philly, two years in Boston. Again, you know, we didn't just say, "Oh, hey, you know, I, well, I, I'll go find a microphone and whatever." <laughs> we we partnered with AG, we partnered with Live Nation. Uh, you, you bring in people who know who know, uh, you know, how to make the trains run on time, and then you know, if you want to be the one to curate uh, the lineup or you know, specify the content, you know, that that's that's another thing. But but the actual logistics of making it happen. Uh, definitely best left to the professional. A lot of room for curation and new ideas, just not a lot of sure. room for inexperience. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, you know, I think uh, it brings us to the next question. How do we continue to innovate the live space safely, sustainably, and, you know, as digital becomes uh, an even greater part of the, the music business, how, how do you integrate digital with live, you know, in a way that continues to add to the experience. Um, there's a lot of in that question. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to focus a little bit on digital plus live, sure. or, or I know we talked a little bit about streaming plus live, so um, I think that that's a really interesting place for Eventbrite right now. Um, we're doing a lot of work uh, with both Spotify and Pandora. In, uh, in really leveraging the online experience or the, the event or the music discovery experience on online and then translating that into a ticket purchase, purchased, whether it's in line inside an app or right there uh, when somebody discovers an act. And 
we are seeing that loop between uh, digital discovery and actual live experience. Uh, we don't see a disconnect or we don't see those things cannibalizing each other. And I think what's really exciting kind of on the let's take events and put them on the web or in an app where um, event goers are, where people who buy tickets are. So for example, uh, we partnered with Facebook last year to power um, transactions on Facebook. So when you see an event come up on Facebook or you're listening to an artist, you can actually go to that event and buy a ticket uh, right inside Facebook um, and get your, and that, that has to do with the tokenization of credit cards and actually how we, um, trans, we can transact using your credit card stored in Facebook or your PayPal token in Facebook and actually transact an Eventbrite-powered ticket um, for that event. And then your ticket is actually delivered inside the Facebook app. So your barcode is there and you can take the app and go and um, actually scan into that event. And so we're really excited about that bridge between digital and, and live, whether it's Pandora and Spotify or partnership with Facebook and distributed commerce as we're, we're calling it. Those are two things that I'm really excited about. Um, yeah, I just wanna show a quick slide. It doesn't all have to be technology. Right? I mean, your transactional uh, technology, that's great, but the actual experience, you know, Frank Ocean's getting a lot of, um, you know, a lot of love for just look at that T-shirt, just wearing a T-shirt. Um, it, it, it says a lot, I think, um, that, you know, we're going back to this cultural piece as well, you know, he, he at the FYF Fest, um, he had a, a pop-up um, t-shirt special where you get customized t-shirts it's like it doesn't always have to be completely technology um, and and I mentioned this morning uh, anyone who was around here earlier was um, the, I talked about manifest 1.0 here uh, it's something that we have one of our team uh, working on over in Brooklyn that that starts today I believe tomorrow what's today is it is that the VIP one? Oh, okay. So you can get tickets tomorrow on Eventbrite, <laughs> if they're still available. This, this is a perfect Eventbrite event, by the way. <laughs> it's an amazing one. But, uh, you know, it was, uh, it, it, this, this particular thing is, is all about um, uh, the sort of uh, mechanisms and physic physicality, emotions of the audience and technology, creating a symbiotic space to manifest bliss music and physical installations created to explore sonic and visual art through multi-sensory experiences. And um, I know that might be a bit of a mouthful, but um, this is what it's going to be looking like, apparently. I haven't been on, on the set at all, whatever we call it. Um, but this is something that, yes, there's technology involved in it, but, um, you know, my notes here end up saying that um, uh, the team that's building this it understands it could be as simple as a t-shirt as well. You know, you don't have to always dig deep into technology to make experiences. John, you anything to chip in on that? I mean, we, um, we're trying all sorts of stuff with VR, AI. I think, um, we actually think the biggest technology opportunity is, is, um, is simply uh, streaming internationally. Um, and the world is opening up. I spend most of my time uh, opening up new markets, and you know, if you haven't heard Tencent uh, 
Meta and Alibaba, the two largest companies in China, they kind of battle for whose market cap is bigger based on the press release of the day. Um, both are, Alibaba's like Amazon, they're in the ticketing business, 10 cents, like a massive Spotify meets, I don't know, uh, Live Nation, um, and they're in the streaming business. But, uh, you know, Tencent's going to spin off their entertainment division into a $10 billion IPO. You, I'm sure you've written about this probably, right, Zach? And, uh, yeah, we've been edited more, but yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's bigger than the market cap of Live Nation yeah. <laughs> um, or Universal Music, right? Um, so what I'm excited about is the opportunity to expose Western talent, Western artist, to the Eastern world via the opening up of these channels. And they're not new or innovative because we've been doing them here for a long time, but as they open up, the music business at large is going to grow massively. And while there's a 15% penetration of Western artists in China currently, when that grows to 30%, which is what they say will be the maximum penetration, that's, that's bigger than our entire US music business. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm excited about. And I think, you know, that gets into the, the streaming thing that we talked about at the beginning of the panel, which is that, you know, you had these guys, uh, you know, from Drake to The Weeknd to whoever it is, uh, even, you know, you know, Justin Bieber, those are three, three of the most streamed artists on the planet, and they still make most of their money uh, on the road. Um, what happens as streaming continues to ramp up and to continue to pay out more and more, and maybe some of these acts who don't like being on the road as much, uh, you know, see their, their bank accounts uh, even more flush. Do you, do you think that, that's, that some of these acts are going to not tour quite as much? Or do you think, you know, it, the live business will always be uh, a huge draw in that way? Well, I mean, it's a conversation that's going on, you know. Um, I mean, back in the 80s and 90s, a lot of these acts would go out every other year, every third year. You see Journey going out every single summer, right? Um, so what we do know is that Spotify, Spotify, Apple, everybody except YouTube, who is just completely exploiting our business, um, and you should be anti-YouTube, you should stop using their service for music if you believe in the value of copyrights. Um, you know, the, the good news in all of this is that it's revitalized record labels. So there's another panel downstairs or something about the value of record labels, and the value of record labels is going up, up, up. And I may be contrarian to what you would hear around this uh, conference, but it's going up, up, up because the value of copyrights are going up, up, up. As India goes online, as Southeast Asia goes online, Eastern Europe, you know, and then China now having done their, you know, Tencent and Ali done, having done their deals, like, like the music business is healthy and growing. So I don't think that they will ever replace touring income to the extent uh, they will make some more money. The record companies will have an opportunity to be healthier. Um, but no, they're going to have to keep touring if they want the big bucks. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with the touring side. I, I mean, as far as streaming income goes, though, I mean, the, the payments are so low. If you don't end up in the billions of streams, you're not making a lot of money. Uh, and that, unfortunately, will push artists to have to keep being on the road, you know, because that seems to be one of the best areas they can um, earn, earn an income to survive, basically. I'm not so sure about the recording industry growing. Um, 
everyone seems to be looking at that Goldman Sachs article that said something about something that didn't make sense to me. I think um, the, the number was the recorded music industry now is about a $6 billion business, give mm -hmm. or take, and they were projecting by 2030 that it would be a $30 billion well, it was never that big in the first place. So, I mean, unless all these um, Asian countries come on online and streaming is massive, you know, over there. I mean, really, what what I've seen is that uh, people want to own music um, in Asia in particular, you know, because the, the sort of system over there is like, hey, it could go away any minute, so I want a CD, so I know I have it, right? Or I'm transferring it all to hard drives so that it can't go away. So, and I wrote recently about the sort of um, people always asking me, like when I was at Apple Music, are you guys um, are you guys uh, in competition with Spotify? I, like, I don't think so. It, we're in competition for subscribers, but not the service, you know, because we all have the same masters, um, we all have the same um, licenses. Um, but it's that it's that war of attrition about which subscribers have still not subscribed to anything, and how can we get them? So but I think that's going to be a challenge. But the, the, the driver of the growth, while it is new markets and new everything, is not new talent. It's catalog. Mm -hmm. yeah. And therefore, the labels can take this basically what is to them free money, and then they can, re, then they can go out and actually start to develop acts again, which they're starting to do more than they have in the last 10 or 15 years, maybe. Um, but, uh, but no, I mean, look. The biggest streamers, uh, you know, I mean, it's still about Zeppelin and the Beatles. <laughs> it's, that hasn't changed. And that's going to be the driver of the streaming revenue growth. Okay. Uh, anything else, Piazza? Or you good? Okay. So I think, you know, the, the, the last question here, uh, what's next? We just got into a lot of what's next. Uh, any, any other thoughts on what's next before we get into questions from the crowd? We're still really, I mean, aside from advancements in payments technology, which I think, you know, it's kind of nerdy, but we're, we're really excited about advancements in payments technology from a ticketing cashless payments um, perspective. But we're also interested and very excited about um, on-site uh, entry management and, and event management tools, as well as um, like things like RFID, but beyond RFID, as well as um, how we can bring we call, we call our RFID um, initiative something called at events. So we think about what is that experience for a consumer or an attendee at the event and how can they how can we use technology to sort of interact with that with that person or know that person. Um, and we're very excited to kind of bring that down market a little bit. You know, the 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 RFID technology, you think about like Coachella with the, the wristbands or, or EDC with, with their RFID. Um, entry management and all the benefits of um, an RFID experience for the consumer. Um, but we're really excited to kind of bring that to our smaller events and maybe perhaps even make it accessible and, and cheaper for people to, to access because we think that there's huge benefits um, for that technology. Um, I'm excited, I think, about five things right now. Asia, Asia, Asia. <laughs> Asia, and South America. Was that six? <laughs> anyway, that's what I'm excited about. Very good. Okay. Um, so uh, some of the things that uh, we've been thinking about with, with this new business of ours, North Music as we call it, um, 
It's just looking at new market opportunities, uh, uh, mainly for artists, of course, like new innovative business models to create experiences and pieces of culture where artists and brands and audiences all benefit. Um, it, it, um, that seems to be the triumvirate at the moment for us. I mean, it's really hard to predict the future. I know Asia, 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 Asia. Um, we, uh, <laughs> we're not in Asia yet, but um, yeah. You will be. We w all right. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll help you. OK, thank you. All right, uh, you know, just send the check to the following address. You know. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, why don't we open it up now for questions from the crowd? Um, right, right up here in front. Hello. I just had a question um, just generally to all of you. Um, and this is actually what I thought this talk would be about, but it wasn't really. How do you think <laughs> that, uh, but how do you think that technology will enable or maybe like augment the existing like festival going live event experience. You know, like I'm thinking um, something, just to give an example, uh, you know, you're at a festival and kind of like a related artist type thing, but maybe for, for smaller opening acts that you haven't discovered, like this type of uh, like technology for you when you're already there, is that something that you guys like think about or, or are working on at all? We are, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think what we're trying to nail first is 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 stability of the technology because um, it, it needs to work right uh, or else if somebody's on site and they're trying to use the you know whether it's in a wristband or it could be in your ticket or it could be in your phone um, that being able to be online and actually communicate is the most important thing so we're focusing a lot on how do we make this technology truly like bulletproof and when you're with a hundred thousand people at an event um, how do you actually um, operate in a truly offline environment because cell phone signals will not will not necessarily work so we're thinking a lot about that um, and then from there we can jump off and actually talk about um, experiences of communicating to, for example, um, we've talked about opening up our ad event API, so allowing other organizations to actually sit on top of um, our entry management system to say, okay, I know this attendee arrived at the event and they're standing in front of, you know, maybe they checked into VIP at this stage, now I want to communicate with them, and sponsors could actually be really creative there. Um, I'm assuming everyone knows what an API is, I realize, so. Um, it's the back end of a system that talks to another system. Um, and so if we can give the data to, say, a sponsorship company to be able to power a really creative um, installation on site, that's kind of how we're thinking about it. We're not trying to develop a specific feature f that can only be used in one way, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think the, um, I think the, uh, the festival uh, connectivity issues, like, can't, it is solved, and just not everybody's using it. But if it, you know, it's if it's not entirely solved, it will be solved very soon. And then I think, you know, on site, it becomes. I'm I'm more of a believer in AI versus VR um, as the big opportunity in our space. I, I think VR has, is interesting as well too. But I think you know the real time commerce opportunities are crazy. You stumble into a small stage, you see a band. And next thing you know, you have their tour schedule on your phone and you buy a ticket for their next show and a t-shirt. Like the commerce opportunities 
in that way are really exciting. And by the way, it also, I mean, it's the same thing online, whether you're there or not too. You find, you find an act, you're watching Coachella live on stream, you like a band, there's the commerce opportunities right there. And, and that's, that is around the corner. Um, the VR thing, I'm not convinced somebody wants to wear a big headset for a bunch of hours, but we'll see. Uh, we're working on it. Not yet, but we're working on it. Yeah, I'm going to ask a, well, actually, can I touch on something that you guys talked about? Is that okay, or do you guys want me just to ask questions? Um, <laughs> um, I, I wanted to go uh, talk about, for first a second, you talked about um, the danger at festivals and stuff like that, and that the things are happening, and it's really funny. I just had our festival over the weekend. We had Eagles of Death Metal play, and there was that, um, and, and I think about this. I was at Imagine Dragons last, last month, and I was thinking about the targeting and who targets, you know, and, and we were, and there was a concern at the festival. Oh, we have the Eagles of Death Metal. Are we, are we concerned that there could be something that could happen? And I got to be honest, Eagles of Death Metal weren't concerned at all. Like, they were not worried about it at all. They, I mean, they just, the show has to go on. You can't be in fear of going to live music events because we're worried that we're being targeted. It's not, it just, you can't. I think that that's something that's, you know, obviously having great security to make sure, you know, things aren't happening. But I mean, like, I feel like that's a big prevalent thing is, is, is like when we talk about we got to keep going, the show must go on. The band is still touring. You know, they're not they're not worried about what's going to happen. I think that's important. And I think you also and then you also touched on niche niche festivals and and, and what's making these things thrive. And I do produce niche festivals, um, and I've done bigger ones, obviously. And I think like you know with Insomniac, you guys are creating a culture. Um, you guys do all these installations and you guys do all these things with fans. And I think um, for me, and the question that I have more for the audience, or for you guys, not for the audience, anybody in the audience wants to answer, but um, is more um, like I think if people, you talk about how do you get more people to festivals or how these festivals are thriving and stuff. And I think it's obviously the lineup, um, having, having a good lineup, having you know, good offerings there, creating a culture. Um, this guy just touched on technology. We're talking about RFID and all these other kind of things that are happening. Um, and I think that um, for me, I don't know, I think, I, I, am I wrong in thinking that like creating something that's more engaging than just putting music up there? Um, like, uh, you know, you, you go to a lot of these festivals and they just have the bands playing and there's not much else happening. And I think that for me, like going to a festival and being part of like this culture and all this art and all these other things are, are pretty important too. I think it's an, an environment. Am I, am I wrong in thinking that, that that's a very important part of piece of it too? I, I think that's a great point. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, sh should we be thinking about instead of how to get more people on their phone at festivals, how to get more people off their phone and just looking at the music yeah, and listening to the music? Mm -hmm. I, think it's, I think it's a great point. I mean, but I guess there, there aren't as many opportunities for monetization that, that way. Although you could say maybe deepening the bond with the bands and, and deepening the, the appreciation of the show. I don't know, what do you guys think? So, something you said about um, on-site, like the experience on-site and that culture that's created versus just coming to see some bands. Uh, I think that's a really, there's an interesting, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but um, the same study we did last year, we, we asked fans, like, why do you go, why do you go to, Events like why do you buy, buy tickets to music festivals? And a third of of the people that responded in our survey said that the lineup was the most important uh, reason that they bought a ticket to that event. Um, so I think that really focusing on the artists and understanding that those 
buying the artist that actually will get people to buy that ticket. And then once they're in the door, it's on you to create an experience, which you guys are really great at, that they will, that will get that audience to come back year over year. Um, but if you don't focus on the lineup and you just focus on the experience, I, I think you're kind of missing missing something. Yeah, but 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 if one third said it's about the lineup, that means two thirds is saying it's not. And so what I would say is the people going to Coachella. I don't know how many of them really care about the lineup. They're just going because it's Coachella. And and I'll tell you, I'll tell you, the festival that's most impressed me about marrying both mm -hmm. is Bottle Rock. Yeah. Like Bottle Rock, like curated this thing perfectly. But are all the wealthy people from the Bay Area and Silicon Valley going to go up there no matter who's playing? Yeah, they are. You know. And by the way, their VIP, their per caps on VIP shattered records. Totally, so. totally. But they, they, I think with Bottle Rock, which who we worked with for a number of years, um, really well curated talent. Know, know their audience yeah. and know who to book for their particular audience. So I'm not saying book the national act that's gonna right. that we like. Chance the Rapper is definitely gonna get you your audience, no matter where you book him. But no, you know, Bottle Rock knew their audience and knew who was gonna get, and they didn't have to pay top dollar for that talent. Uh, we, we need, do we have time for one more or we got to wrap up? Time for one more? I have a quick question. I'm just curious about like event discovery and where you see it's going. You kind of mentioned streaming, but like the apps and websites I use have kind of been like the same for the last few years and not that great. Um, so yeah, I'm just curious on your thoughts on that. We've been thinking a lot about that. Um, you know, the, the really interesting or exciting thing about Eventbrite is we go across not just music. So we know that people don't like to just go to music events, that they also have interest in food and wine, or perhaps they like to run a marathon on the weekends. Um, and so what's really exciting about the content on our platform is we can actually kind of create a 360 experience for the consumer. And so uh, when they land on eventbrite.com or they get our newsletter or they, um, are in a search and browse experience in their city on Eventbrite, we can surface to them things that are interesting. Um, but we also realize that that can't just be Eventbrite content. So we have to pull in Ticketmaster shows or other other events uh, onto that discovery experience. So we're, we're working away on that. I think that's a very, very hard problem to solve. And I think it's because people have really siloed the inventory to just say, just Ticketmaster shows. So then you don't get the really cool um, event in Brooklyn that's happening this weekend um, because it's not going to be on Ticketmaster. So we're really thinking about that discovery experience, 360. Um, but we also realize that people are not going to come to Eventbrite to discover things to do. And that's why we've spent so much time thinking about how do we distribute the Eventbrite events out to Facebook, Spotify, Pandora, and actually get them out to where people are spending time on the web, because I don't think there's one specific place that, I mean, I'm sure you, you use a multiple, you're in various places. Facebook's been incredibly successful for us, though, I have to say. Um, we have been driving 2x conversion on Facebook just by allowing people to buy that ticket within the app, so it's been a really successful, distribution has been incredibly successful for us as a discovery method. We, uh, uh, our company um, motto is all are welcome here, which is very much needed in this world. 
all are welcome here. And I'm really interested in a, uh, ravers tend to want to be with other ravers. And I think a raver dating app would kick major ass. So I'm looking into that. <laughs> I think he said it all now. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I think that uh, that brings us to the end of our time here. But thank you, Dave, John, Biasha, and thank you guys for coming here. Uh, we'll be around if you want to ask any other questions.